0: Hello and welcome to Fabula Celtica, a Celtic Studies podcast with Tyler Baxter and Kevin Collins. Series one,
1: Ancient Ireland, episode two, Catching the Sun.
0: Welcome back to episode two of
1: Fabula Celtica.
0: I'm Tyler Baxter and I'm Kevin Collins. Tyler, what, what have you got in store for us today?
1: Well, uh, last time I promised that we were going to talk about the Neolithic tombs of uh, Newgrange and of uh, Bóinne, the, the Boyne Valley complex. Um, and I want to start with a question for you. Let's see if you got, can get this one. Um, if I talk about the, the she, uh, S.I. Fata, what, what comes to mind? Oh, butter. Oh, OK, great. Uh, <laughs> anything else? Anything more, more fantastical?
0: Um, I could only give you another full guess. So do take me out of my misery.
1: For those of you who are listening in, uh, if you've been delving into Celtic mythology yourself before, into Celtic folklore, um, you've probably heard of this term she in reference to the Irish fairies or in reference to the Irish Otherworld. Um, the old Irish term is sheath or plural she uh, and um, it's usually translated into English as something like fairy hill or elf mound, or even hollow hill. And that hollow hill uh, variation is particularly apt because we are going to be talking about passage tombs, which are quite literally hollow hills. Uh, and they do indeed become associated with fairies and other folkloric magical stories and and ideas uh, as, as time goes on. So just to, to really hammer in this term, um, sheath in Old Irish can refer to a, a hill um, with sort of this, this, connotation of supernatural residence. Uh, it can also be a general term for the Irish otherworld, which is sort of a parallel dimension to ours where the, the fairies and other sort of supernatural creatures live. It can mean the underworld um, in, in sort of a similar sense, or it can uh, even mean uh, peace, actually. Uh, and so sometimes this is used as sort of a play on words uh, in, in certain texts. Um, especially ones with Christian elements to them, uh, but Newgrange itself uh, in the older medieval text is called then Broga, uh, which is the she of the dwelling. Really, um, dwelling as in sort of a landholding or or a mansion um, or some sort of you know residence. So it's it's a residence of supernatural beings. With that all being said, uh, the most famous of the supernatural beings in the mythological sources, who are sort of counterparts to the fovra that we mentioned in the last episode, those strange one-armed, one-legged people who attacked Partholon and during his taking, um, the the ones that might be more familiar to people are known as the Tua Dé Danann, uh, or Tuatha Dé Danann uh, in sort of the modern Irish pronunciations. It would be Tuatha Dé Danann in the um, in the Old Irish, but these are the it's usually translated as the tribe or the people of Danu, uh, Danu supposedly being some sort of goddess who we don't know a whole lot about. Um, but they're, they're actually the fifth takers of Ireland in the Govila. so we're, we're going a little out of sequence to introduce them now because they come into today's story about uh, the Newgrange Monument. We'll circle back for the third and fourth? We will indeed, yes. We will be looking at the third, fourth, and the fifth takings in um, episode three. Okay, But uh, for now, just be aware that the uh, Tuatha Dadanan, I'm going to use the old Irish pronunciation because that's what I'm used to, Um, but uh, the people of the goddess Danu uh, are a supernatural race of people who, after a certain point in the mythology, are typically seen as the inhabitants of the Shiva, uh, of these hollow hills and of the other world.
0: Does your uh, belief for the Irish mythology of fairies and, and elves, does that uh, stay true today? I, I think it's, it's evolved today.
1: Um, it's There's sort of a transition from the
0: mythology... But you, you personally, do you have a supernatural belief?
1: I I like to entertain the idea. I wouldn't say I believe it, uh, but I don't disbelieve anything either necessarily.
0: Um, Another concrete answer. Well,
1: well, yeah, I would say the interesting thing to me is the stories themselves and how people respond to them rather than whether or not they're true. Um, which is oftentimes the kind of answer you'll get from from, uh, a lot of folklorists, for instance. From an an academia. (laughs) Well, yes, I suppose from (laughs) academics as well, you may get that answer. Um, Though I'm sure there are plenty of academics who will say, yes, they believe, or no, they absolutely don't. Um, It it will vary, but uh, folklorists will definitely be more ambivalent most of the time from the folklorists that I've followed in the past. And before I let you move on, aliens? I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe the Tuatha Dadanin are aliens. Oh, maybe they are? Um, uh, in the, the text says they come from the north. Maybe they meant from above rather than ah. from north. Uh, moving along here, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little story, and I had to set up that, that bit about what the Sheetha are to, uh, in order for it to make sense um, and who the Tuatha Dadanin are. In a text known as Tokmark Aedana, or The Wooing of Aden. Uh, which is recorded in the Yellow Book of Lechen, um, which is a 14th and 15th century composite manuscript, um, as well as in Lever or the Book of the Dun Cow, uh, which is our oldest um, extant manuscript that's primarily in Irish, um, dated to about 1106, or pre-1106, I should say, with some later editions. Um, we're told the story of um, the Dogda and Bowen, and the Dogda is one of the main, most important uh, leaders of the Tuatha Dadanen, that's the supernatural race. Uh, his name means the good god, and he has all sorts of land-shaping powers and, and other abilities. Uh, he's often depicted as having a large club and a rather large stomach. He can eat a lot. Um, he's also oftentimes depicted uh, or implied to be a, a, a giant and uh, the Dogda comes and visits Newgrange, um, visits the Brunabwina, uh complex. And uh, this is the dwelling of uh, Elkvar, uh, who is the lord of the sheath at Newgrange. And Elkvar has a wife named Bowen, who the Dogda is like, hmm, I want some of that. And uh, Bowen's looking at the Dogda like, hmm, he's not too bad. So... Uh, the Dogda and Bowen conspire together. Bowen sends her husband Elkvar, Elkvar off on a errand that's supposed to only take one day. Um, but after Elkvar leaves, the Dogda uses his great supernatural powers to stop the course of the sun in the sky and make this one day last for nine months. And mm-hmm. uh, he also uh, causes it so Elkvar doesn't really feel the passage of time, like keeping hunger away from him and keeping tiredness away from him, so that uh, Elkvar thinks that he's off on a one-day errand, but he actually ends up being gone for nine months, giving uh, the Dagda and Bowen plenty of time to uh, have a good time together and also to conceive and birth a child. Well-placed nine months. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Um, And so uh, the child that they have uh, is um, quite a a famous um, figure among the Tuatha de His name is Oingus. Um, or also he's known as the Mac-Og, the Young Sun. Um, his, his name, Oingus, means one desire. He's also called the Mac-Og because young is the sun who is born in a day. And um, this, this idea that uh, the Dagda so- stops the sun in the sky is going to tie into our discussion of the Newgrange Passage Tomb, which has an element of solar alignment to it. So there may be some echoes of of a cultural memory of the actual construction um, and original usages of of Newgrange within this medieval tale. This is also a really good point at which to introduce the idea of Din uh, which is a term that I'm going to bring up again and again because it is a very frequent element within Irish stories. What is it? Din So... For those of you who who don't aren't familiar with Irish, um, this is going to sound really strange. But I am going to spell it out for you, just so you can picture it in your head. D i n d s h e n c h a s, and it's it's a compound word. The shenikis part of it, the second element, means lore, or sort of a traditional body of knowledge, um, and the din part of it. Uh, means um, a notable place. So it's the lore of notable places. There are certain texts that are considered just in and of themselves. their genre is Denhenicus, and the basically the whole point of the texts are usually quite short. There are both prose and verse Dinhenikus. Um But they basically give the explanation for how a place came to acquire its name or how it came to be like it is uh, in sort of its um, physical uh, attributes. There are also frequently Denhenechus elements slipped into longer stories, such as sagas. Um, I've been recently uh, reading the Tonbukunga from the Ulster Cycle, the the Cattle Raid of Kuli, uh, and there's a ton of Dinhenicus tales sprinkled throughout this much larger text that's mostly about um, war between uh, Connacht and Ulster. The Dinhenicus basically retells this story I just told you um, And adds uh, an additional um, bit to it. And I'm going to uh, read um, a subsection of this uh, longer Dinhennicus poem from Edward Gwynne's translation of his metrical Dinhennicus, uh, volume three. So here goes. Uh, the poem is titled Bowen II. Thither from the south came Bowen, wife of Necton, to the love tryst, to the house of Elkvar, lord of horses a man that gave many a good judgment. Thither came by chance the dogda into the house of famous Elkvar. He fell to importuning the woman. He brought her to the birth in a single day. It was then they made the sun stand still to the end of nine months, strange the tale, warming the noble fine grass in the roof of the perfect firmament. Then said the woman here, union with thee, that was my one desire, and Oingus shall be the boy's name, said the dogda in noble wise. Bowen went from the house in haste to see if she could reach the well. She was sure of hiding her guilt if she could attain to bathe in it. The druid's three cupbearers, Flesk and Lesk and Luev, Nectin Macnavid, set to watch his farewell. To them came gentle Bowen toward the well in sooth. Then strong fountain rose over her and drowned her finally." So in the first four stanzas of this poem, um, we basically have a summary uh, of the the story I just told. Um, But then it sort of adds an extra bit to it. It says that Bowen, uh, the wife of Elkvar, goes to Necton's well in order to bathe in it and purify herself so that her husband won't discover her infidelity. Um, But this well is guarded by these three cupbearers. And her birth. Well, the the birth is hidden by uh, fostering Oingus uh, to another sheath. Um, so that's that's in another, or, or actually, it's in a uh, continuation of the wooing of Aedine, which we will come back to in the future. Um, but uh, Oingus is basically uh adopted out more or less you can you can think of that for now so Elkvar doesn't know about that part but uh Bowen's still concerned that she's somehow going to get found out uh because she's unclean or something um so she goes to to bathe in this well um but what happens is that when she gets there the well essentially rises up and drowns her and she becomes the river Boyne so Bowen becomes the Boyne that's where we get the name of the river in the first place um at least according to this text So the river Boyne is actually the goddess Bowen. And so there's an example of Dinhenicus. This is an example of... The lore of notable places, and it is a denhennicus about the Boyne River.
0: Are there many, many denhennicus?
1: So there are there are easily hundreds, if not thousands, of examples of denhennicus that we still have preserved to this day.
0: It's nice to know the lore of of places, and
1: and um we'll we'll actually see a very very similar denhennicus to this later. Um, uh, well, several episodes down the line, uh, it's it's not coming up right away, um, but. Uh, something very similar happens a different female character uh goes to a well for a different reason um but the the end result is the same the well rises up drowns her and she becomes a different river so um it's it's uh, again we've seen sort of different motifs that are repeated uh throughout the tradition much like we saw um in the last episode with Fintan Macbocra and Toon McCarroll, both being the sole survivors of their individual takings and both living by reincarnating for centuries after so that they could pass on their knowledge to the Christian people who, who followed them. So, um, with that all being said, uh, let's, let's go ahead and look at the actual archaeology of the Bruna Buena complex. Um, let's talk about passage tombs since I kind of left that one as, as very rough on the details in the last episode. Um, and let's see how... The passage tomb of Newgrange specifically, let's see how that ties into the story of the dog stopping the sun in the sky. So, um, passage tombs in general, as we mentioned last time, were built pretty much through the entirety of the Neolithic period. And they uh, are, consist, uh, as their name would indicate, of a passage into a larger chamber. Um, They're typically covered with a circular mound made of a mixture of stone and earth, so you get that cairn built first with the loose stone, then on top of the cairn you get um, a mound of earth and oftentimes turf placed over that, creating that nice sort of grassy mound appearance. Um, They vary in size quite drastically. The typical uh, passage tomb size ranges from about 10 to 25 meters in diameter, um but at the largest you get up to 85 meters in diameter. Oh. And um we're talking on those on that larger end when we're talking about the Bruna Buena complex and the three major t- passage tombs that are in that location. Um Newgrange being the most famous, but we also have uh, the passage tombs of Knowth and Dowth. Just um, a,
0: out of interest, mm-hmm. there must have been a good knowledge of astrology in order to you know orientate and build these in such a way?
1: Yes, yes. And um, it's, it's hard to say um, exactly uh, how uh, these people knew the things about astrology that they did. but um, as we'll, we'll see when we're talking about the structure of the new range passage tomb, they clearly had a very precise knowledge um, of certain um, solar events. But how they attained that knowledge, um, how they calculated it, uh, hard hard to say.
0: Where were we with farming utensils at this time when this was being constructed?
1: So we're still in the Neolithic. So we're, we're, we haven't yet really moved on to much in the way of metal uh, utensils. Uh, they would have been using, you know, probably wooden plows.
0: Quite a dichotomy of using like rudimental instruments, but being quite off fait with astrology. <laughs> There's a, a large gap in the middle. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, to to some extent, I suppose. Um, I guess it could show what, what was important to them. Um, at this time, uh, do you
0: think there was anything supernatural or divine about their knowledge of astrology, or do you think it was just from observing the night sky? I, I, I certainly think there is a spiritual element to um,
1: why they why they cared. Um, There's also a very practical element of the idea of the cycle of seasons being so entwined with agriculture and the agricultural cycle. You really need to be aware of the passing of seasons and and how that affects um, the whole process of growing and harvesting crops. Um, So there is that practical element. But the fact that um, we get solar alignment with a a number of passage tombs, not just Newgrange, um, but we get these solar alignments at a place of burial, and a very elaborate place of burial in the case of the whole Brina Buena complex, um, suggests that there is um, an important element of ritual, ceremony, religion uh, tied in with it as well. These uh, passage tombs are, are oftentimes uh, built at uh, hilltop locations. They're not built on low-lying ground, so that you can see quite a bit around them, and the mound's going to be, you know, larger than than the hill they originally built it on. That, that, that uh passage tomb is not you know dug into a natural hill it's built on top of an artificial um, structure they're usually built on elevated ground in the first place and they can occur in groups as they do in the Boyna complex um, Mm -hmm. including what we call satellite tombs uh, which we see at the um uh, the passage tomb of Nouth. It's this very large, it's actually the largest of the, of the three in the Brunenquintment complex. This is the 85 meter diameter uh, passage tomb. And it's surrounded by a whole bunch of smaller, more on the 10 meter side um, passage tombs that are literally right next to and and, and encircling it
0: the the passage element is that like the passage of light um
1: well in the case of Newgrange, yes in the case of a general passage tomb i would say not um but uh for the ones that are solarly aligned yes indeed so the um passages uh for a passage tomb vary quite a bit in in how long they are um they can be as short as one meter to qualify as a passage tomb they can be as long as 40 meters, which is the case at Nouth. So now if you go very deep into this this uh, burial mound uh, in order to get to the chamber in the center.
0: Uh, once you get... 40 meters in and
1: 85 yes. meters wide then yes. in the so chamber. It's, yeah, so it's pretty much in the dead center um, where, where that one goes into. Uh, the New Grange Passage is, is not quite as long. It doesn't actually go all the way into the center of the mound. Uh, the general construction of these, just to try to give you all a visual uh is that you would uh create your your passage however long it is it's going to vary from about 1.2 meters in width um down the passage to as much as six and a half meters uh in width so it can be quite a uh a sizable uh space spacey passage um and uh the the passage itself will be formed with up- right stone slabs, uh, which are called orthostats, uh, topped either with um, flat stone, stone slabs, which are called lintels, or topped with uh, a, a technique of corbeling, which is sort of a um, back and forth stacking, sort of like we, we do bricks and walls. You know, they're not all perfectly aligned with each other. You kind of offset them. So you offset them um, as you go in closer and closer together um, until they, they kind of come together at sort of a peak. Uh, is, is the best way I can describe it in audio format. It, it might be worth it for listeners to uh, take a quick uh, Google search of the, the roof uh, or the ceiling, I should say, at Newgrange, and you can get a really nice uh, image of what the, the top uh, looks like, and you can get an idea of what that corbeline looks like if you just do a quick Google search of that. That sort of goes into the point where you get to the chamber, which is usually cruciform in shape. So if you imagine a cross, the long part of the cross is the passage itself. And then the the tip and the two little uh, horizontal bits of the cross, those are the the recesses in the chamber. Um, So that's the typical shape, though we do have a handful of passage tombs where there are more chambers than three. Um, There's there's one at... uh, La Cree in County Meath that has seven chambers. Um, I suppose I should mention that the Brú na complex is also in County Meath. Newgrange itself uh, and the other passage tombs in this immediate area are older than the Egyptian pyramids,
0: which is when do small. the
1: pyramids date from? <clears throat> um, the oldest one, uh, I believe, is 3,700 um, so BC, almost over a thousand
0: years predating them even more.
1: A uh, few hundred years, anyway. A few hundred you know. years. Sorry, my mouth um, is
0: shaky at the best of times.
1: Yeah, uh, so, so we have New um, Newgrange, uh, which is um, a really stunning uh, piece of architecture. It's been, um, uh, what's the word, restored uh, from what it was sort of uh, rediscovered as in the uh, early 1900s. Uh, when it pretty much just looked like a hill with a handful of standing stones outside of it. Um, it was all overgrown with trees, um, it was not clear that there was any sort of entrance to it, um, but it was uh, excavated um, by uh, O'Kelly uh, in the early 1900s, um, and and he uh, uncovered the, the entrance and uh, this very significant part of the architecture known as the roof box, which we'll come back to in a second. Um, and, uh, and since that time, um, there has also been excavation at Nouth. Um, and Douth was actually excavated prior to either. Um, it was excavated in the mid-19th century. Um, but unfortunately, those, those darn um, Victorian-era um, wannabe uh, archaeologists uh, decided that it was a great idea to go into Douth directly from the top of the mound, and they managed to collapse it. So now the poor thing looks like a giant crater rather than a mound, um, which is a little ironic uh, considering the story of Doubt that we'll look at at the end of this episode. Newgrange as it stands today, um, again, this is something that's, that's worth taking a quick look on, online uh, to see a picture of it, but I'll, I'll try to paint a word picture for you. Um, actually, Kevin, you, have you been to Newgrange?
0: I'm afraid I haven't. You have not. Oh, that's a shame. To the best uh, way of my knowledge, you couldn't get a taxi there either. Oh, uh, I, yeah, yeah, well,
1: <laughs> you can get a taxi there if you leave from the right spot. Uh, just don't go from Slane, uh, at least not during the, the summer months. When, you, you, you've no. been
0: there a different time, though, have you?
1: <laughs> I have, I have. I actually went uh, for the second time very recently. My friend was, was visiting um, from uh, the Seattle area. He, he flew into Dublin, and we, we went out to Newgrange together. Um, when it was excavated, there are all these white stones uh, that, that fell out um courts mostly uh that seemed like they had originally formed a wall so what the um the, the people who who uh, excavated the, the site did is uh, they reconstructed what they thought the wall originally would have looked like on newgrange and they left the wet the the loose white stones just to stay where they fell at north so um, if you go and visit the bruna buena complex um, you can visit both Nouth and Newgrange um, and you can see that contrast between where they just kind of let things fall as they were versus they, they did this active reconstruction. Um, the result of the reconstruction is some amount of guesswork, but, you know, it's it's guesswork with a, a good degree of confidence behind it. And it really creates this stunning, um, very white uh, wall that goes around about half of the Newgrange Mound. Um, which makes it very visible from quite a distance, um, and this would have probably been an intentional idea, much like the the pyramids of, of Egypt um, were originally. Uh, uh, Capped with um, uh, marble uh, to, to make them really stand out. And then, you know, people came and chipped off the marble and stole it. Um, <laughs> but uh, a similar idea here it, it would make it very visible. It would make it a site of gathering, likely. It would make it easy to get to from, from a few miles away because you'd be able to see it from the, its elevated position and with this white, very visible wall. I I can say that the uh, excavation was only a small portion of the mound was excavated. So they didn't really do much in terms of going into the mound itself. It was mostly sort of around the edges of the mound to get out this material that they rebuilt the wall with to expose what are called the curb stones, which are these lovely, uh, at least in the case of Newgrange, these lovely decorated, very large stones that surround the whole base and kind of help hold the, the earthen mound in place. Um, it's uh, essentially a retaining wall, uh, and then of course the entrance to New Grange, um, which uh, includes the passage, and then above the passage, there is uh, this uh, little um, sort of window-looking thing uh, that we call the roof box, um, just above the, the the upper lintel of the passage proper. It measures about one meter by about a quarter meter, um, and. It was very intentionally put there um, because on the winter solstice, uh, when the sun rises, assuming that weather is allowing, <laughs> um, the the sunlight will go not through the the entrance um, of the the passage tomb, but through the roof box specifically, and will go all the way back into the chamber. Is there um, something that it hits at the back of the chamber? Well, it it more or less. Uh, it kind of will will uh, fan out on the floor of the chamber, um, and and makes it back to basically the, the the recess that's that's directly opposite the the passage. We're talking about a 19 meter length passage that this light has to go through, and the passage is not perfectly straight from the opening. The passage actually um, gets uh, higher as as you go uh, from from where you start. So. Uh, you can't really tell when you're when you're actually walking down the passage which you can do if you visit uh, New Grange today and make sure you book in advance. Um, but uh, yeah when you go in um, you you actually walk uphill uh, and so the roof box has to be set above the original passage in order for the light to come in straight and get into the the passage itself. It comes across the floor uh, it's quite a thin um, little uh, sort of triangle that it that it thins down to as it as it goes far into the passage um, And it pretty much reaches the the back recess and it's this kind of nice golden uh, You know sunlight colored band across the floor. It does not illuminate it to an incredible degree, but it's it's very sort of atmospheric Um, the the guide uh, if you go will will recreate it for you using um, Using electronic lights that have been set up for that purpose. Um, but to actually go and see it on the solstice itself and it's the true sunlight doing it requires entering a lottery that's something like a five-year wait, um, even if you, you manage to get it. Uh, so, so it's quite competitive. There's there's only space for about a dozen people inside the chamber. Kevin, does does this idea of uh, sunlight remind you of anything from earlier in the episode? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so that, that idea that um, the Dagda stops the sun in the sky uh, from um, the wooing of Aedin, uh some scholars have speculated that there may be uh sort of a lingering cultural memory the newgrange mound um the entrance would have been uh obscured uh as the the mound sort of expanded under you know rainfall um the passage of time Uh, and and spilled over the entrance, spilled over the the curb stones and the wall, um, so that just looked like a regular hill. And by the medieval period, it would have been hard to to tell that there was much there at all. Somehow, this this story of um, capturing the sun managed to survive into the medieval period and, and seems perhaps to be connected to this idea of architecture. Now, that's further supported by a couple of other archaeological elements at the Buena complex. Um, At Newgrange itself, in addition to the roof box, at the very opposite side of that, on the back of the mound, um, there is a curbstone. And I mentioned all these curbstones are are decorated. The curbstone at the entrance in front of the the passage inside has the famous uh, triskel um, pattern. It's sort of three... Integrated swirls that shows up on a lot of uh, like a triskelion. Yeah, yeah, uh, it shows up, you know, in, in lots of tourist shops, sort of spread across all the all the different quote unquote Celtic countries. Um, I saw uh, lots of that that pattern in uh, Brittany, for instance. Um, but it's actually, in terms of its original appearances, it's just at Newgrange. It's not a pan Celtic design. It is specifically um at new range and it appears twice it appears once on this curbstone in front and there is another one inside the um chamber that's opposite the passage
0: what do the triskelions represent we have no idea
1: but the the curbstone that i want to mention at the opposite side of the mound at the back of the mound um has a vertical line down it that seems to match up exactly with the sun set on the solstice um, the winter solstice. So the the, the mound tracks not only the sunrise but also the sunset um, all the way across that day. Additionally, at Nouth, uh one of the other passage tombs, uh, Newgrange is about eighty meters in diameter. Nowth is slightly Wait, bigger. Just, uh, as an aside,
0: yeah, <laughs> maybe not your area of expertise, but sure. with the shifting orbit of of Earth, will there be a, a time where the sun no longer shi- shines through Newgrange?
1: um uh, probably eventually uh i this is yeah as you said not my area of expertise um but uh i mean it's still it's still going strong today so i would assume it will take a few thousand years more before that point occurs okay well i better enter that lotto yeah 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 it's a uh, you want to do it uh, sooner rather than later um uh, at now with one of the curbstones there uh, has a pattern that uh, many people have speculated is representing solar alignment in some fashion. It looks actually quite like a modern sundial uh, on part of it, and then another part of it um, that sort of goes around that sort of curve of the, the sundial um, looks like it might represent, for instance, the phases of the moon. Um, so so there's another potential um, sundial lunar calendar, something like that, that's depicted at a curbstone at Nowth.
0: Oh. in at what point in history did newgrange become desolate i mean it, it was excavated by o'kelly in the, mm-hmm. in the as recently as the 70s yeah um and so there was a, a period there where its its history was was lost
1: yeah it seems like there's there's been some sort of um in and out uh, of of whether or not the entrance is exposed um if I remember correctly, uh, there was a, a period of time in, I think, the 1700s where it was it was open um, and, and people were able to get in. And actually, most of the grave goods that were originally in there weren't in there when it was properly excavated by O'Kelly because uh, it had been um, raided, essentially, by, you know, whoever. Um, but I'm not sure. I don't think we have a date for when it was sort of closed off, but we think it was closed off during the medieval period. Um, how it opened up again, uh, we we don't really know. Um, but maybe there was sort of some off and on times that it was it was open and people were aware of it. But certainly, as far as um being this grand structure with this white wall that you could see from from miles around, um, that that would have been uh, certainly uh, no longer. Uh, Clearly visible by the medieval period when we first get written records. This leads us to one other story um, that ties into this idea of solar alignment, uh, and uh, actually, again, echoes this motif that we saw in that extract from the Wooing of Adine. Uh, and this is another Dinhennicus tale. Oh, good! Yes. I like the Dinhennicus tales. They are they are lovely things. Uh, sometimes they're very wild things. This is a Danhennicus tale about um, Douth, uh, the third passage tomb uh, in the complex, the one that unfortunately now looks more like a crater because of a botched um, excavation attempt. You can uh, visit Douth today as well, but it's not part of the the official tour. You have to drive around to it yourself. Um, I have actually not done that myself yet. Um, but uh, it's it's a, it's actually got some, you know, trees and things growing on and around it. It's not as well kept up and uh, uh, It's it's blocked off. You can't go inside, of course, because it's been collapsed um, But uh, it's, it's still worth looking at some some maybe aerial images of it's kind of cool with with uh, How it looks even though it's also kind of sad that uh, it's it's rather collapsed um, And it's actually also uh, has uh, has a solar alignment, I believe can't remember which solar alignment it has i think it's with an equinox um but uh, in, in any case uh, the ninhenegus tells the story of um king bressel bodivith uh whose uh epithet bodivith means something like uh the darkening of cows or perhaps the extinction of cows uh which is appropriate given that uh, it's told that his during his reign a a cattle plague killed all the cows in ireland except for seven
0: of them and uh so i knew that this story was missing death on a large scale up till now
1: yeah yeah so so we've got some death now um death of cows specifically but uh you know mass death of cows um we'll see how important cattle were uh, as we move along especially into the medieval period um bowen's name by the way uh the the Woman who gives her name to the river Boyne. Uh her her name also seems to have something to do with with cows. That bow aspect of it means means cow. Um in any case, uh King Bressel uh wanted to build a tower to reach heaven. That should sound familiar. We just yes. <laughs> we recapped last episode some important tales from the book of Genesis. Babel. Babel. Indeed. Yes. He wanted to mimic um the Tower of Nimrod, it says, but Tower of Babel, same difference. Um, and and build a tower that would reach heaven. So uh, he enlists some laborers to start building this tower for him. Um, But the laborers only agree to work for him for one day.
0: So what do you think he does? he extends the day to nine months the same way that he had uh
1: <laughs> more or less yeah his, his plan is basically to extend the day as long as he needs to until the tower is built to his satisfaction
0: right because um, they're, they're they're not having a kid so it doesn't need to be nine months for the gestation period right just right. however long it takes to build the mythical tower
1: exactly um so uh Bressel doesn't have the power to do this himself he's you know he's just a king kings are politically powerful but not necessarily magical powerful uh conveniently though his sister is a druidess and she has powerful magic so um she stops the sun in the sky for him and uh, his laborers get to work uh now, the next part's a little uncomfortable. Um, we're going to have to take this episode as explicit as we ha- will have to for many, because um, the, the old Irish tales are, are not necessarily terribly kid-friendly. So if you're listening with children, um, maybe, maybe cut this part for them. For, for some reason, unexplained, um, Bressel is, is watching his sister work her magic, and uh, he decides, hmm, I'm going to go sleep with my sister. It's not clear whether this is consensual, whether it is rape, but uh, in whatever the reason, whether because of the sinful act um, or because uh, she's distracted, uh, his sister's magic fails and the sun sets uh, and the workers go home. And what they managed to build during the time before uh, King Bressel let his pants control his mind, uh, was uh what we have of of Douth. Um so he did not get very uh high at all um with with the tower he was trying to build. It just ends up being a uh, you know, a sizable mound, but a mound
0: nonetheless. Is there a a moral to the to the story? I mean
1: I, I, I guess uh the if there's any moralizing it's that yeah, uh don't don't sleep with your sister um yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe there is um, uh, a metaphor implied of, of uh, how well endowed you will be, uh, depending on who you sleep with, perhaps. Um, in, in any case, um, and it's quite ironic that the tower or the, the mound actually got shorter uh, later on with this Barts archaeological experiment. The, the last really main thing that I want to mention about uh, the Newgrange complex also ties into the story. Um, While well, most of the, the remains uh, at the Newgrange site were, were gone before it was excavated, we do have some remains from the site. I, I can't remember um, if they're, they're from the Newgrange passage tomb or from Nouth um, or from one of the smaller passage tombs, but uh, in any case, um, there are some, some human remains that were found uh, that DNA analysis was, was done on. And the DNA analysis indicated that it was very, very likely that the parents of the remains that were found were brother and sister, or perhaps parent and child. So there's strong indications that there was actually um, there were people who were the product of incest buried at this site. So again, there may be some cultural memory that survives within this Dinhenechis tale.
0: Wow! Well, you know, did we know the perils of incest um, when this lore was? I thought it was just the royal family in the in the in the in twenty in the first well, century that we really became aware of the perils. I, I actually, that's that's
1: what I was kind of hoping you would say: is that uh, incest tends to be something historically that um, happens within sort of elite groups. Uh, and the idea that we have such an elaborate set of passage tombs here, particularly large, particularly fancy, we've got all these these wonderful carvings, um, both inside and outside of uh, the Newgrange Passage Tomb, for instance, uh, indicates that these were um, places built by and for people of very high status, um, so probably quite... Um, and for lack of a better term, a rather inbred group of, of uh, fancy people uh, were, were sort of the, the ones who had um, the, the say about the, the construction of the site and, and its use. And this um, is to keep the, the lineage pure? Oh, presumably. Um, it's, I mean, it's all really speculation. Uh, beyond what the archaeology can tell us and and there's so many blanks that we have to fill in ourselves that it's it's hard to say
0: such an elaborate um you know burial place, taking into account the astrology and the effort that went into building it um what would i mean what when they were alive let's say mm-hmm. what were they doing with their time and energy, and if they have an army of people to <laughs> build these elaborate right, right. burial I mean what what do they do for the, the time where they're alive <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it's a, it's a good question um we we don't really know whether these locations were used really just as tombs and and not used otherwise it seems quite possible if not even more likely than not that uh with the solar alignment of Newgrange that was actually entered at least once a year um, for witnessing this um this uh quite spectacular um event of the the sun coming through the roof box and illuminating the the inner chamber um but we can't be sure that that may have been really for the dead alone Um, it's it's hard to say Um, so we we can really only speculate um but certainly they they had the the wealth and power um to get these things built um, which suggests that uh, at least this this group of elites uh, was was well secure in in food and housing and all that sort.
0: And there's no more to be unearthed at Newgrange. We've uncovered the secrets.
1: Well, uh, as I said, uh, when the um, excavation was was done by O'Kelly, only a small part of the the mound was excavated. The actual mound itself, as opposed to sort of the the exterior of the mound, so actually inside the mound proper, so I guess atop the, the stones that sort of form the passage and the timber, you would have put a cairn um, involving you know, lots of small stones, and you would have put earth on top of that and turf on top of that. Um, and it's quite possible that there are things left behind in there from the workers from you know food that was left possibly artifacts that were lost or intentionally put in there that we haven't seen yet because we haven't excavated it super
0: no doubt using some kind of more modern technology like earth penetrating lasers um because they found a new tomb in the um our new chamber in the pyramids in the last kind of five years yes yes it seems like those keep propping up lately so yeah as technology evolves
1: hopefully some of that comes our way over here to to Ireland and and we are able to use more of that ourselves
0: well if I have confidence in anyone I have confidence in the OPW I'm sure they'll do their absolute best to unearth the mysteries that Newgrange hides indeed the Irish famously
1: on top of things (laughs) All right, Kevin that will do it for this episode but uh, next time we will be looking at at um, the Bronze Age and Iron Age, um, and kind of introducing some of the most famous uh, and important sites in terms of the mythology uh, known as the Royal Sites uh, that were mostly constructed during the Iron Age.
0: Thank you for listening to Fabula Celtica
1: with Tyler Baxter
0: and Kevin Collins.
1: Please rate and subscribe and follow us at Fabula Celtica on Twitter, Instagram, or email us at fabulaceltica at gmail.com.